You're listening to Warren and L on Canada Talks. Well, that voice will sound familiar to many, many of our listeners right now. Absolutely. I will tell you, uh, I was excited to get this guy in here because, uh, you know, as much as we talk about promoting Canadian talent and Canadian musicians, this is a guy that's managed to have some serious success and do it right here in Canada and for decades now. Well, and you know what's weird, and I, you know, this is just a fact, but it's, um, I didn't know for ages that he was Canadian. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Hilarious. I just kind of, because, so. Really? So well known, kind of just assumed American, because that's really? the way we are in Canada. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That's yeah, that is that's weird. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Please welcome Matthew Good. Um, yeah, no, I was thinking about that earlier, mm-hmm. um, is that, yeah, I can't, I can't, I just remember a moment years ago when I was like, that guy's Canadian? Yeah. I didn't know that. Vancouver. Because it's hard, you know, we talk all the time on this show about the challenges with being an artist in Canada, mm-hmm. and especially musically. Yeah. Um, and it's rare that there's someone that I find out about musically and they're Canadian and I don't know right away. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because we're very homegrown. Mm-hmm. And you've been banging up, man. It's like 20 years now. It's 20 years, yeah, since my first record. Yeah, it's been about, I guess, since... I guess it's been about 23 all in, but yeah. something like that, yeah. Does the time seem to have flown by looking at it now, or does it feel like a long uphill no, climb? No, you, to tell you the truth, I mean, this year's been the 20th year, and like I've caught myself at certain moments going, wow, that's 20 years. You know, like I would have never thought that, but. It's a weird thing in in the entertainment industry is that we all talk about the struggle and, you know, oh, yeah, man, 20 years of work, you know, to get here. And then you look back and you go, and yet it kind of flew by. (laughs) It flew by. It's because you're working so hard, really. Yeah. And, and, you know, so, you know, when you give over a lot of your life to something, it's it's uh, that tends to happen. Well, you know, know, another recurring theme we have on this show is that especially in Canada, regardless of what your medium is Mm -hmm. if you are an artist it 100 percent has to be a labor of love oh absolutely absolutely it does yeah or else you go back to school and become an accountant yeah yeah no there's no you know i mean there may be a small handful of canadian artists that are like living in on massive estates with you know yeah, it's like Russian Dan Hill, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> and they're neighbors, bare naked ladies. Yeah. Oh yeah, those guys. Yeah. They all share a compound. Do they, they, do they have a? Com- I don't know, you know, but it's it's pretty rare. I mean, you know, it's uh, after twenty years, I still make my living, you know, year to year by playing shows. So, yeah. well, it's there's something significant about you, and that is uh, you're one of those rare Canadian artists that has the audience. And the critical accolades, yeah, right? I've been it lucky, seems yeah. that it's either or in this country. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. seems like there's the really popular artists, like say a Nickelback, that don't get the credit from mm-hmm. the critics, right? Or there's the critical darlings that don't quite have the audience. Right? I think I had to kind of earn that though a little. <laughs> sure. I think when the band originally blew up, you know, I think that you know, Beautiful Midnight was critically acclaimed and successful. Um, and then after that, I kind of had to fight like an ongoing battle. You know, Avalanche, I, there was kind of a, like a, a bit of a set against kind of what had gone on. And, 
and the rest of it. So I kind of fought a little bit of a battle and over the last, you know, I guess 15 years, it's kind of culminated in a lot of people, you know, especially, you know, in the press that review stuff kind of going, well, we got to give you your due, you know, you haven't sold yourself out and, you know, and you're still around. So, which is the thing, you know, it's one of my favorite things. Like I, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, really commercial stuff and there's a lot of artists who they write a song and you go oh this song was written to be a hit maker or to you know what i mean um but what i always find so interesting is the musicians like you who are like no i'm gonna do my thing yeah and oh i have i've been in positions been placed in positions in my career where people have tried to work subversively to get me to try to write hits and sure. uh, the you know the probably the most famous example, uh, uh, hilariously, was Antipop from the audio being, which I wrote as an absolute joke, thinking no one in their right mind would ever put that on an album, mm-hmm. and it was like the second single off that record, which just really speaks to the the corporate atmosphere at the time, and uh, another song that was really a joke from the very beginning. And even though we we put it down, was Rico from Underdogs? That was mm-hmm. another kind of song that was supposed to be a joke, and it was kind of like, yeah. So, platinum album later, platinum yeah. album, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, whatever. But you I know, guess. I think that's the thing that makes me have so much respect for musicians. Um, you know, like we're comedians and and performers, but you know. You never know. Like with comedians, you say something, it gets a laugh. You go, that's a hit. That's yeah. a success, right? Yeah. With, with musicians, it's just such a crapshoot. There are so many amazing songs that you go, this is going to be the biggest pop hit of this year, and no one ever hears it, and it sinks, right? Yeah. And then you hear a song, you go, oh, my God, that's terrible. Huge hit or whatever. Or even just a song that it doesn't have to be terrible. That's bland. It, it, it's just it's odd to me because the music industry is such a gamble. Because I don't just mean good music that goes unheard. I mean, like, sometimes there's that band that's been around that's had tons of hits, and then there's that one album that, for some reason, mm, no one finds it, or it just doesn't yeah. connect. No, or- I mean, there there is that, too, right? And, you know, the thing about it is is that what we live, I mean, for first of all, we live in a post-album era, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah, we talk about that a lot. Which is ridiculous. I mean, I just, I grew up on that. All my records are like that. It's... But we live in a post-album era. And because of that, you know, people are, you have a song, there's, you know, someone puts out a song, and that song will do what it will. But people won't really, I, or at least I find these days, spend the time looking at the, the, the depth of the material on a release. And then within the context of a career, putting it in con- chronological context within itself. So... It would be easy to say that if you were to, say, take Spotify or iTunes or anything like that and take the usual criteria of someone listening to the first 20 seconds of a song, right, Mm -hmm. that Shine On You Crazy Diamond would never have been heard because, you know, you got some synthesizer and and, uh, a little bit of guitar going on there for about a minute, two minutes, maybe more, and, uh, you know... And it's just utter genius, of course. Once it, once it, you know, once the song does what it does, but it, uh, I think there, are, there, there's a lot of examples. But the problem is, is that if you look at the work that's done today, 
and you are to you know if you're to compare it to something as groundbreaking as Wish You Were Here as an album as a whole, it can't hold a candle to it. Right. Right. Which is the irony. Oh yeah, and we've talked about that a lot on this show. About I say we're in a we're in a singles business now. Yeah. It's a mm-hmm. singles it's a singles industry again, like it was say yeah. in the fifties. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's one thing and fine, and it, <clears throat> it did what it did, but it led to the album. Mm-hmm. It led artists to create the album. And if you look at popular music um, and its impact socially, mm-hmm. it was the era of the album that started to change things. You know, it was Free Will and Bob Dylan mm-hmm. that started yeah. to change things. Well, what the album definitely did was it made the live industry big. Oh, huge, yeah. Absolutely. Right? The, 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 there's no such thing as this. I mean, hell, if I had to tour like they all toured back in the 50s, that'd be a joke. The package tour? Yeah, with, uh... I go on, I play my three songs, I'm done. Are you kidding me? That's There's what is that? There's nothing to that. Yeah. yeah. There's the, nothing to that. Yeah, I remember reading about the history of Motown, and what you had there was, you know, the Temptations and the Supremes and the Four Tops and all these bands yeah. singing vocal groups mostly and yeah. with the same band, right? Yeah. And they would come out and they would tour all together on a bus yeah. and go town to town and do these reviews where, yeah, yeah. The, the Temptations had a few songs and then the Supremes or whatever. Um, we've had on the show, a friend of the show, Eva Avila, from who won... American, uh, Canadian Idol mm-hmm. one season she was talking about this and she said you know she was releasing an EP this past year and she said I don't know that I'll do an album again she said because I, I released the EP because I need more material and live stuff to perform and tour with live mm-hmm. and she said but people are more apt to buy that than an album because they just want the singles the singles the single and I've always wondered do you think we'll reach a point where artists are putting out just a single every few months I mean, just constantly putting out a single every few months and there's not an album? I don't know. That's, you know, to be honest with you, that's a question I can't answer at my yeah. age. I'm, you know, I uh, I, I can't really on- honestly conceptualize that in yeah. my mind. My mind doesn't even think that way. I, I kind of think it's two different approaches. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? It's uh, because I think... Yeah, especially for, you know, young people starting out today. I'm the business is drastically changed and social media is given so much weight, which is weird. And uh they're navigating a different landscape, right? But it's um yeah, like when she says that, it almost sounds to me like how I operate as a comedian, right? Which is mm-hmm. like, oh, new joke, new joke. Like, oh, I have to write four new jokes mm-hmm. so that all my stuff's not the same. But I can't really imagine a musician working that way either because well, it, there's a story. Yeah, see, you know, the interesting thing about it, and one thing I always, you know, myself look back on, and it's I find it very ironic, is that um, Rolling Stone panned every record that Led Zeppelin made. Um, pan them mm-hmm. um, and you know not only that you buy Led Zeppelin 2 you wonder who these guys are you look at the cover these you know these four imposed faces on a flight crew with the Zeppelin in the background you wonder who they are but the record speaks for itself and it's brilliant same with Led Zeppelin 4 the biggest single off that record is you know a one of the most played songs in, in music history and is 
vastly long in comparison to what a modern single could possibly be. But you kind of have to look at it and go, why in an era when you knew so little about a band, so little about who was in the band personally, you knew nothing. Yeah. You didn't know what Robert Plant did for, had for breakfast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You didn't care. You know what yeah. I mean? You put on Houses of the Holy and you listened to it. And that was what you did because that's what you were concentrated on. That made you feel or do something. It doesn't matter if it's them. It doesn't matter if it's them or Billy Bragg or whoever, right? Um, and now it's all about who, you know, not not just the song, but it, it, just how it all fits together in, in kind of like a media package, an image package, mm -hmm. and all, all the rest of it. And, you know, you kind of wonder if, a lot of bands in the past would have been around today. Would they have even been arrested? You know what I mean? No, I've one, said, and one band I think of is Queen. Sure, because would Freddie Mercury really be? You know what I mean? And he he's a, he's a, he's bloody brilliant. Yeah, he was he was bloody brilliant. And no know, one would have ever signed Meatloaf and Bad Out of Hell. That yeah. Bad Out of Hell would have never been released. No a concept album that all had one long Peter Pan kind of theme sung yeah. by an overweight. You know, an yeah, overweight belter. You know, it, it no one would have signed Bob Dylan. Yeah. Oh no, 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 no way. There's no way in hell. That's it's an interesting thing that no and, one watches videos anymore. Really, like it's not about the videos anymore. Yeah, and yet more now than say during the MTV era, like the height of MTV, we're more about appearance with artists the now image, than we were yeah. then. It's, yeah, the no. 80s are called the me decade. And everyone talks about oh, it was all about appearance, and I go yeah, but even if I look at the 80s, I can go and I can find some not gorgeous artists that made oh, it during absolutely. the 80s. absolutely. Right? I mean, you Tons. look at, sure, you know, you look at, there's so many, you know, go look at a Soul Asylum video. I mean, they're, yeah. not, they're not looking good in that. Or, First concert I ever went to. There you go. And, and a great band. Yeah. You know, we're listening to, or, you know, a replacements video or something. Yeah. Those those videos are not, you know what I mean? They're, mm -hmm. they, they're not glamorous videos. Yeah. But, um... It's, I knew it was going this way when I saw some when Susan Boyle was on Britain's Got Talent, England's Got Talent, or whatever it's called over there, uh, and she came out and sang that Les Mis song, right? And everyone was laughing when she came out because she looked like she did. Yeah. And then she sang and it was amazing. Everyone went crazy. I remember they cut to it was either on Entertainment Tonight or Extra or one of those shows, and the two women were talking when they came back and they go, "Can you believe it? I mean, seriously, can you believe she has that amazing voice?" And I was like, "What?" Yeah, that why, voice coming out of that person. Why is that so yeah, hard to believe? Yeah, you know what? You know the the irony, and I remember seeing that for the first time, and I thought to myself the same thing. I thought, you know, that's really weird because you would have never said that of Pavarotti. Yeah. No. You would have never said that of Pavarotti. No. But yet this woman, this mm -hmm. lovely woman walks on stage and has an angelic voice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's about it, the package. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And when it comes to the single versus the album, a lot of that is, con there's, there's several reasons for that, I think. And I've, I've said this before. Mm -hmm. One of that is convenience. One is just point, click, a dollar, point. It's mine. Yeah. Another one is so much. There's so many artists now. There's so many different genres of music. There's so much being released. There's so much yeah. that's out there. From the big labels to the independents to the unknowns, right? Mm -hmm. And so people start going, yeah, I could buy that album for 10 bucks, or I can buy 10 artists for $10 and see who I might 
grow with and see who I might get into over mm-hmm. time, right? Mm-hmm. There's that. And then I think a lot of it is also from the 90s when people got burned from the record industry mm-hmm. because there were no singles. You had to buy the full CD. They raised the prices on the CDs, and there were a lot of bands that had that song that sounded nothing like anything else they did. Else they did. Yeah, right? no. They're the in 90s there. was probably the biggest. clear. I think the 90s was the biggest decade of artists with the solo hit that sounded nothing like anything else they sure, did. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. I, I, would, I would agree. I would agree that it goes, that happened before the 90s. Oh, no, no, absolutely. You know? I just I mean, think that the 90s is when it, I, I think all of it the time. all the time, right? Yeah, well, sure, it, it did. I mean, you know, I think that's prevalent throughout music history. But it, it, I think it's it's interesting because, you know, you listen to a lot of records and uh, people will listen to, say, have a, ha, be introduced to a band and, and listen to a single and ne- not necessarily find that single to be the best song on the record. Mm-hmm. Right? There's yeah. something else on the album that just blows it out of the water. Yeah. But it just happens to be six and a half minutes long or whatever else. Sure. And, you know, and that that's happened throughout music history, you know, all the time, really. I mean, and that's the unfortunate part. You got to dig, right? You got to listen to things. And you got to take things in stride because that's how you grow you know with regards to your understanding of how you take five steps from chuck berry to you know what i mean to nirvana yeah sure you know it's 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 uh and you start to understand music and yet you start to understand where different things came from and different how different movements influence different things and um you know it, it it's and it's important because it's it's not, it's not just a part of our culture in Canada. It's a part of culture, hum, global culture. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it's the only artistic format that does not rely on visual. Oh, that's so true. That's interesting. Right. It's the yeah. only artistic format in the world where you can close your eyes and be anywhere, but it still is what it is. But you can transform it into anything. That's the power of it and why it will always be there. And we are speaking to Matthew Good, whose new album, Chaotic Neutral, is out now. Wait, which Friday, released it? Friday. 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 Released on Friday. Pre-order. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, you've been fairly outspoken about um, dealing with depression and mm-hmm. issues and stuff like that. And I'm the same way. Our listeners know all about my history. And I know not everybody can talk about it, which is why I personally feel like it's my, mm-hmm. I share my story a lot, right? Yep. Um, what, what, it, what is it for you that made you say, oh, this needs to be talked about? I don't know, because I'm bipolar. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, that's, but a lot yeah. of, uh, a lot that's of people, the end of it. <laughs> but a lot of people... Um, I think a lot of people in the world who do, whether it's bipolar or something else is going on with them mm-hmm. mentally, um, don't have the ability to talk about it or are afraid well, to share about they, it. Well, of course they Of course not, right? Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, the closest I think you can compare it to with regards to stigma with mental illness, right, is people's or an inherent misunderstanding of something and fear of something, mm-hmm. the closest thing that it can be related to is racism. 
Yeah, interesting. Right? Because yeah. you can say that you're not, but say in the back of your head you are, and it still remains there. Because it's this, un for some people, it's like an unquantifiable thing that they just can't break, right? Right. Um, you know, the thing about mental illness is that if, if you know, if you were to, you can do anything else, right? You can, you can talk about diabetes and you can raise money for that. And because, you know, you needed insulin every day and the rest of it. And, you know, when it comes to anything that deals with a neurochemical disorder in the brain, mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't get away with, I'm sorry, but you're just not a schizophrenic and get away with, you know, meditating. Yeah. To get rid of your schizophrenia. It, it just does, doesn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a disease that is entirely steeped in neurochemistry. Mm -hmm. Just this, exactly the same way that diabetes is steeped in blood sugar, mm -hmm. right? And, and insulin. So if, if you had type two or, you know, if you had diabetes and you just decided one day, you know, I'm just really not going to take my insulin because it's taboo. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just not going to really deal with this because it's kind of taboo. You know, I mean, it's it's the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're dealing with uh, if you're dealing with a neurochemical illness, you, you have to address it. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, we live in a day and age where things have been overblown. You know, parents take their 17 year old kids into their their GP who is not a psychiatrist mm -hmm. and they get put on an SSRI and you know that's supposed to make them not you know they're not depressed and but everyone's 17 everyone's depressed everyone listens to the smiths yeah come on yeah. that's being a teenager yeah. yeah welcome to the world you know i mean and even in that regard no one's dropping bombs on your house so thumbs up yeah you know but if you're dealing with you know someone you know whether it's childhood trauma um, whether, you know, you're talking about say post-traumatic stress disorder, um, or, you know, and, and then you get into your kind of neurochemical disorders, um, and, uh, those sorts of things. I mean, that's where you can't, there, there are no easy fix fixes. You have to work at it, but at the same time, it has to be recognized for what it is. And because mm -hmm. it's a very unseen thing. Um, except for outward behavior, which scares people. Yes. You know, if you just want to look at the failure of the mental health system in this country, just go walk outside and find the first person talking to themselves on the street that you think's some grubby guy with a Tim Hortons, empty Tim Hortons cup. And that's the, that's the failure of our mental health system right yep. there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a massive problem, and as far as I'm concerned, it's, you know, I've been in situations where, uh, you know, I've been in a hospital and seen a, a girl who's tried to commit suicide literally sitting in a waiting room. Yeah. Someone with a broken leg go in before them, like not even a compound fracture, and this girl's like tearing her hair out. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it, it, it's, you know... But there's such uh, that, you know, you're dealing with situations where things aren't are understaffed. There's not always uh, a, a psychiatric unit at a hospital if a town's too small or a psychiatrist on duty. Mm -hmm. And even if you live in a town that's large enough, let's say you need help and you've tried to get help and it's a wait to see a psychiatrist or whatever else. I mean, your best option is to basically say you're going to hurt yourself, call the police. The police will shut, you know, ambulance. You have no choice. You can't, you have to, you can't, will, you, the choice is taken away from you. 
Yeah. They observe you. Yeah. And that's your best way. I mean, I'm not going to, I don't want to, you know, have 911 over, you know, suddenly being flooded, but it's ridiculous. Yeah, it really, I remember um, when, you know, when I was about 23, I had a nervous breakdown and at the time I was suicidal, but I wasn't actively suicidal. So Mm -hmm. I hadn't attempted to kill myself. And I called my doctor who is, I still see her, she's the best. Uh, And I was very lucky that I found her and I had a really, like my family is really Mm -hmm. supportive. But um, they, you couldn't get admitted into the psychiatric hospital unless you were actively trying to kill yourself because there wasn't enough room. Mm And so it's like, oh, you just think about it all the time. Okay, try it and then come back and we'll find room for you. you I know. know. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's mm. our system is for sure broken. And it you know? seems oh, yeah. it seems that we're, we're ignorant to mental health issues. The rest outside of the psychiatric world or whatever, mm-hmm. the, the unwashed masses where we, we talk that we're going to talk about mental health issues, mm-hmm. but we don't really talk about it. And when we do, we put it in the wrong place. Like every time there's a mass shooting yeah. in the States, people go, we really need to talk about mental health. This isn't about just angry, mean, pissed off, violent people and guns. This is about mental health. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. And then we the see current. homeless people on the street and we go, they're lazy. And they go, yeah. no, 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 that's your mental health issue. A yeah. majority of people living on the street who are mm-hmm. homeless babbling to themselves like you said or whatever that's mental health well, issues well you go to lower east side in vancouver which has of course been gentrified now but mm. yeah. if that they've been you know people have been pushed further down the east on the hastings corridor but 70% of the people roughly down there suffer from mental health issues yeah um uh you know a large portion of them are from an aboriginal community mm-hmm. from abusive situations yep. a lot of the women abusive uh, uh sexual and physical situations um and the entire thing is set up Right, you got your drugs. Here's your drugs. Your, you know, the drugs will make you forget. It's it it it's it's the perfect storm contained in a bottle. Yeah, you know, and it it you know, Libby Davies is a friend of mine. She was the MP for Vancouver East forever, and she's retired. But we used to talk about that, and it, it's just like you're fighting a battle that no one wants to address. No one wants to put money into really solving it Yeah, because it, that means really getting your hands dirty, yeah. you know, and um, you know, your suburban taxpayers, they don't want to pay for that. No, you no, know? they don't. They don't. And you know, that's the funny thing. I think it goes to the core issue of social medicine. You know, I'm a mass proponent of social medicine. Mm-hmm. It means that if Bob has a heart attack next door, your taxes makes sure Bob's okay. But at the same time, you're like, well, you know what the hell? Bob had a heart attack and I, you know, I paid for it. I'm sick and tired of this and the waiting and all this stuff. You know, if we all paid more, if we all paid just a little bit more, you know, the bureaucracy, slim the bureaucracy, mm-hmm. things would get better. But the thing about it is, is Bob taxes, Bob's taxes make sure that when you get, uh, you, when you have a heart attack, you're covered too. Yeah. It's kind of an interestingly simple thing. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Tommy Douglas. Mm. You know, but it's uh, somehow it's uh, viewed by a lot of people as this, you know, uh, not everybody. Of course, there's a lot of Canadians that l- absolutely champion our healthcare system, and so they should. But I mean, you just look at the French healthcare system, and you know, it's, you know, the the, oh, the, yeah. the 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 corporate tax rate and how it has to pay into the system and the rest of it. It's it's that's what's needed in a civil society. Matt, we got to take a break. Can you hang out? Oh, yeah, sure. Cool. We are speaking to Matthew Good. The new album is called Chaotic Neutral. It's out on Friday. 
Let's go out with a little more Matthew Good Music, and we'll be right back to talk a little bit more. This is Channel 167, Canada Talks. You're listening to Warden Out. I got to ask you, because it's been something like, what, 13 albums? in both that, yeah. 13 albums in 15 years or something like that? 20? I don't know. It kind of depends on what you count, right? Because there's, like, right. Live at Massey Hall, and then there's, like, Greatest Hits, but it had a whole bunch of original stuff on it, too. And then there's, like, EPs, like uh, Loser Anthems, right. Lo-Fi B-Sides, and uh, and that, that kind of stuff. So it kind of depends on what you count, but I don't know. But there's a bunch of them. Is it... But this is the thing. Is it pretty easy for you to come up with riffs? I mean, is it pretty easy? For, is that how you do it? How do you sit down and write music? Because depends. I know some people that it takes them, you know, some songwriters that it takes them years to craft a song, right? No, no. And then I know some guys are like, nah, I pick up the guitar and I riff for a while and I write it down and I go down, pull up Garage Band, and then bang, hit song, you know? And that's just it crazy. It depends on the instrument. Sometimes I start with piano, sometimes I play the bass, sometimes I'll start with guitars. It just really depends. Uh, for me, it's more about when a record cycle ends, I kind of take a small break, and then it's like, whoop, I got to write a record, so I go write a record. Do you sit down planning to write, or is it like you're driving around and all of a sudden a tune is in your head? No, I just sit down wow. and go. <laughs> I pick something up and kind of go, yeah, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to try that, and then I'll kind of wade. That, sometimes I have I'd like a, a, a distinct direction that I want to go. Like my last record, um, I'd come off, uh, the tour for Lights of Endangered Species, which is a very kind of atmospheric, heady kind of thing. And uh, and the tour was like that too. So I came home and started listening to a lot of uh, bands that um, and music that I'd listened to uh, as a teenager, a lot, a lot of Husker Du and Replacements and, and, and bands like that. And, uh, you know, I just picked up a Telecaster and sort of bashing away. And that's what resulted in that record, right? So it changes really from album to album. Have you ever thought of doing a concept album? Like, you know, Matthew Good does Motown? Mm, no. Not really. If Duet's I did a, record? If I did a concept album, it would be about something, I don't know. It would be about something weird. You know? Like, I don't know. But I don't think I would do it. About, I don't Like, it's kind of this, that's the weird thing. I was, like, looking the other day about how um, um, but uh, I'm going uh, Ryan Adams. Sorry. Oh, he did right. the Taylor Swift, the Taylor album. Swift yeah, like, album. Who does that? Like, I mean, no, no, no offense, because I think Ryan Adams is awesome. Yeah. But who does that? Like, is that like you just okay? This this girl releases this hit, huge hit record, and you just do it. A, you covered the whole thing, and now you're getting all this attention because she's wrote this. She, it was a weird choice why? to make. Go write your own stuff. Yeah, I have a, a lot of people are freaking out on social media. They're like, "Oh, this ride, I'm just so great," and I was like, "I don't, I haven't listened to any of it." Um, well, it's not only I don't, it's weird. It's not. I don't know. It's just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, would you have done that? Like in, you know. It's it's kind of like I mean I'm obviously I think it's because he was already a known artist and and I'm not saying that well, makes sure, it cool but because like if some guy just said hey I'm a dude in a who plays in a pizza place once a week with an acoustic guitar here's me doing all of Taylor Swift's music we wouldn't care yeah I guess but it, that's kind of like 
I'm just trying to think of uh, an artist that would apply at the time, but like that's like Debaser coming out, and or not Debaser, uh, Doolittle coming out in 1989, and then in 1990 someone just redoing all of that Pixies album. Going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just did. I, I just, just did it my way. Yeah. We are sadly out of time. Matthew Good, will you come talk with us again? I will. I got three shows in here in Toronto, so coming up, so I'll come back. We'll advertise those shows, and we'll tweet out all your stuff. Thanks. the new album, Chaotic Neutral, is available this Friday. Write it down. (laughs) And we'll be right back. This is Channel 167, and we are Ward and Al.